It is Tuesday, August 25th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaaf. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And we have a couple of special guests joining us for this one. If you've ever done an auction draft, then you know the format adds layers of strategy to draft day. So we decided to import a couple of auction veterans to help us break down this format. You can tell we're serious about it, too, because we went out and we found a lawyer and we found a doctor. Now, first up, Drew Davenport is a staff writer at Football Guys with a particular focus on auction drafting. You can find him on Twitter. He is at DrewFBGAuctions. You can check out his YouTube channel, The Auction Brief. And in his spare time, he even practices law. Thank you for joining us, Drew. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm just stoked to be here. Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Budoff, an orthopedic hand and upper extremity surgeon with a background in sports medicine as well. He is a contributor at RotoViz, including a two-part podcast last August on auction drafting. And you can find him on Twitter at Jeff Budoff. Doc, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for inviting me. Absolutely. I'm glad to have a couple of guys that I know have lots of auction experience because I've talked to you about both of it. I've heard from you about both of it. So I guess first, Drew, what is your experience with audit, with auction drafting and what do you love about the format? My experience goes back into, I guess it was the late 90s when I started doing auction stuff. I remember specifically uh, falling in love with it after getting David Boston for eight bucks one year in an auction, and uh, he blew up for 1,500 yards, and I never looked back. I I think the thing I like the most about it is that whenever I'm in a snake draft, I just feel like I'm pigeonholed on what I have to do. Well, this guy is, this is too much value. I got to take this guy here, and auctions open you up, and I like the ability to pile up multiple second and third rounders and being able to stack up players you don't have the opportunity to do that in the snake and that's what gets me going doc how long have you been doing these auctions since about 2013 that's all i do now is uh, redraft auction i don't do any snakes except for uh, best ball and is it for the same reason because you just like being able to have access to all of the players on the board i love auctions they are so much more exciting you know, if I do a snake and I'm in the tool hole, I make my pick and then I have a lot of time where I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, you know, waiting to see who may get back to me. In an auction, I'm involved every second. I'm constantly watching what's going on, who's bidding, who has money left, who has, you know, certain position stocks, who doesn't. I have to know who's going to be going for the same types of players that I am. And I also like to build my team the way I want to build my team. So it's sort of cookie cutter. If I go into snake draft, I am in whatever, the three hole. It's pretty set for the first couple of rounds, what I'm going to do. And, you know, one of the things I listen to podcasts and one of the things that really always sort of irks me is when the hosts say, yeah, I like that running back in round three, but I never draft them because there are all these receivers I like also. And I'm like, well, why don't you just take them both? If there's two receivers and a running back you like in round three, why don't you just have three third round picks? You know, give up a second round pick and a fourth round pick, and you can make your team a reflection of who you want to get. You're not stuck where you take that fourth round pick and you got to give up everybody else until the fifth round. You can drop from Peter to pay Paul. You can switch strategy in the middle depending on how things are going. It's more fluid. It's more fun. It's like playing chess versus checkers. 
It's just a much better experience and it's more fair. If I'm in the five hole and you're in the one hole and I want Christian McCaffrey, there's no way I'm getting him. But if we're in an auction, I can get him if I want to. I may have to pay the price, but I can strategize plan A, B, and C if I get him, if I don't, if I get this guy, if I don't. And I can just make the team any way I want as long as I'm willing to sacrifice in order to build up the area that I want to build up. I don't know, though. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, if you draft Gardner Minshew in the first round, now you can get a free case of Bud Light. So you might be able to get one of those early running backs later than usual. Man, I, I don't know. I, I think I can buy 50 cases of Bud Light if I win my league versus taking him one first overall. <laughs> no thanks on scuttling my draft early for a case of Bud Light. No thanks on a case of Bud Light anyway, period. So, Doc, what would you say your overall approach is? I know you said you like to be, you like to get those two third rounders if that's what's attractive to you. In general, what kind of approach? There are names for approaches, but what do you like to drive for? How do you plan to build your roster when you head into an auction? Honestly, I have a different strategy every year, pretty much, depending on the players that I like. So five, six years ago, true to my road of his roots, you know, I would do sort of a zero RB-ish thing where I would get three wide receiver studs, then out of a $200 budget, maybe three or four running backs for 10 to 15 bucks a pop, put most of my money into wide receivers. This year, I am extremely running back heavy. Most of my money is in running backs because I think the values for the wide receivers that go in rounds three, four, five, and six are there. So I want to get a Christian McCaffrey. I want to get two of the top six or seven running backs. And then for wide receiver, get like four of those guys, somewhere between rounds four and six. And some will go for a lot of money in League A, but cheaper in the second draft and, you know, a different league. And I'll jump on those values to get guys in that range because I think there's so many good receivers there that are very comparable to the guys going in round two. But I don't have to pay that kind of price, especially if I look for values. And then I'm cheap on quarterbacks. I like a late-round quarterback. I'm cheap on tight ends, looking for a couple, you know, upside tight ends late. And for my second running back, if I get Christian McCaffrey, then I got to sort of spend a lot of money on him, right? And then I got to take what I can get, and I'll get like a, the last draft I did. I got a, I got McCaffrey, and I got Jonathan Taylor. I got uh, David Johnson. I got Kareem Hunt. You know, those guys that are going in like later rounds four to five to fill in. We could talk about the different styles of auction draft. Different leagues have different styles, like different poker games. And that's my gambling background. Different poker games, loose aggressive, tight aggressive, will have different styles and you play them differently. I don't, so, I don't know if I like the sound of a surgeon who's a gambler, personally. <laughs> uh, it's just in my spare time. But, uh, you know, you get somebody like Drake and somebody like Miles Sanders, you know, and so then you have nobody else and then you're going for the $2 running back. So it sort of varies and you got to sort of like golf, you play the course. Mm -hmm. The course here is the different players and the amount of money you have and the nomination order. And mm -hmm. you just got to sort of play it by ear, which is what I love about it. And I've read Drew stuff and I, I like it, Drew. Thanks for promoting auctions. And Thank you. You got to think on your feet. And that's one thing that he likes doing as a defender and I like doing, and if you like doing that, auctions are your, they're your thing.
Yeah. Counselor, I, are you a studs and duds drafter? You said counselor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I have a continuum that I sort of pay attention to. The The smaller the auction is, the more studs and duds heavy I'm going to go. I think the, the differentiation at the positions is more important. I just did one on Sunday that's a 10-teamer, and I did something I never do, which is I paid a bunch of money for Lamar Jackson. The smaller it is, the more heavy I'm going studs mm-hmm. and duds. And then I feel like I, I'm pretty good at the waiver wire, working trades. I can fill in holes if that happens. But the bigger the rosters are, the more I'm going to go for a balanced approach. But I, I'll build off of what Jeff said a minute ago about my poker background is absolutely comes into play when I'm walking into a room because you can kind of tell what's going to happen a lot of times just from when you walk into the room and see the level of preparation that you're dealing with or how the first couple of bids come out how comfortable people are doing it and how long they've been doing it. That's going to tell you a lot about where your strategy is going to go. How do you guys come up with your auction values? Is it you know, based on projected fantasy points or is it a VBD value or is it just like a loose ranking and you sort of, you know, fill it in from there? You know, it's interesting. I know that if you get any auction cheat sheet, it will show every player and his theoretical value, which varies wildly depending on the different type of auction draft you're in, meaning some are steep where the top guys go for like 80 bucks out of 200. And some are like in a league of analysts, the top guy, McCaffrey will go for $51. It's a much, much flatter or shallower thing. And so the values of the players that they go for with the cost varies wildly. So you just can't think that everything's going to be near that. The standard deviation is huge. So what I do is I know who I want. And that's the great thing. I'm not stuck. It's round five and I don't like anybody there, but I got to take somebody. No, in an auction, I can pick and choose. I don't want this guy and I want this guy. So I'll just come up really, I mean, I'll rank everyone, but in bold, I put the guys I want. And those are the guys 90 to 95% of the time I will focus on. The other guys are great to nominate. I know we're going to get to that later. Mm -hmm. To get money off the table for the other people and to fill their roster spots. But I know how much I want to pay for those. And how do I know that? Because when the second that these mocks open, and yeah, I've only, I've never, I'm not as lucky as Drew. Got four young kids. I've never had the chance to do a live auction. I think next year my wife's going to, she said I could do it. I'm so excited. You're missing out. You're missing out. I want to do it bare knuckles, like no electronics, no paper. I'm, I'm fired up. Anyway, I've just done them on Yahoo and I've done them on ESPN. But those rankings there, how much that their default dollars will greatly influence even experienced drafters. So that's going to steer people more than they care to admit. And then I'll decide what I want to pay for, like a Christian McCaffrey, what I want to pay for Ezekiel Elliott, what I want to pay for Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And then I will fine tune it. I will find a website with good projections like DraftShark. And I will calculate, you know, if uh, McCaffrey is, you know, projected for 90 points more than Barkley, you know, which is, I'm making numbers up now, 15% more, he should probably go for roughly, give or take, 15% more. And so I'll fine tune it. And then, you know, that's the plan. But as Tyson said, everybody's got a plan if they get punched in the mouth. And then they have to get there. And you have to be willing to exceed it, modify it, but also not deviate too far because you don't want to get dragged out and spend too much on somebody and then compromise 
the rest. Yeah. You know, Jared, it's a good question because I think that people get hung up on those values prior to the draft. I was, I emailed uh, Matt about this last night because it's one of the, my least favorite things about when I answer questions, say on Twitter, people are curious about, well, what should this guy go for? I never like answering those questions because I think that average auction values, they're important when you're building out your strategy at the very beginning. Like, okay, this is what the masses are thinking. And this is what I'm approximately going to have to pay for these guys. But when you walk into a, an auction, that stuff just, it doesn't hold up. And so oftentimes I feel like it hamstrings you. It makes you feel as though if we've got people listening to this who have less than 10 auctions under their belt and they walk into a draft and they think, well, I thought I was going to get Robert Woods as my second receiver and he went for 28 and the price thing said 19 and that's how I didn't get him. I believe that the more important thing to do is to uh, have your expectation of what you want to pay so it fits on your roster. So you have your money allocated a certain way and then when the players come up that fit in your roster – it doesn't matter if he should have been 19. If you have allocated 24 for a second wide receiver and he goes for 22, you did fine. So I think it's more about how it fits into your plan as opposed to what the person should go for. It's kind of like ADP in that way, you know, in, in redrafts where it, it's a guide for where the guy usually goes, not where he should go. So it tells you about where you should be taking him. Where in an auction, you know, your value is about what he should cost. But if you like him more than that, you like him less than that, you should adjust based on that, right? Exactly. You know, what Drew said, it reminded me there was a general that once said, plans are worthless, but planning is invaluable. And it's just sort of the act of going through that really cements in your mind how you feel about different players at different price points. And then once you get a sense of that, and that's the thing, that's what's different about Snake. You really got to know how much you value each player because it's not going to start through ADP. In, in a rookie auction, it might go McCaffrey, Barkley, Z, Kamara. But if you get to an experienced auction, it'll be like William Fuller, first guy. And then it'll be Barkley. And then it's Pat Mahomes. And then it's like Cole Beasley. And you know what I mean? It's all over. And you got to kind of have a sense. So it's putting the work and getting a sense of how you value people is very important even like drew says if you you know you have to deviate in the stream yeah the level of preparation i agree is is it's completely different if you are in a moment where say uh connor's already been uh, rostered and you're bidding on gordon but then david johnson's still yet to be put up on the block you got to know what you think about all three guys you can't just know what's the guy i'm bidding on if you don't have an opinion born of your preparation of all three guys then you're not going to be able to compare them properly and, and get the right price. It's true. And something, you know, Drew does this series, the auction briefs. Good job, Drew. Thanks again for popularizing auctions because sure. I, I just simply love them. But one of the things he talks about that we're sort of skirting over is keeping records during the auction. And that is, if you don't do that, you can't do anything we're talking about. I have, and I know I'm an older guy, I'm not a millennial, but I have paper and pencil and I just, and I'm, I'm biased, I know that, but I think you can't do an auction, at least I can't, without paper and pencil. And I write down my budget for, because I'm cheap with tight ends and I'm cheap with quarterbacks, but for my running backs and wide receivers, I know to the dollar what I'm willing to spend. And every time I spend that, I cross it off. And sometimes you just got to shift between one and the other. But you need to know 
And you need to plan out for your draft slots too. I mean, we always talk about money, but the other thing that comes up in auctions that is a concept different than snake drafts is the number of remaining roster spots can be very different between teams. So you're limited by two things, not just the money, but the money and the roster spots. Because somebody could have only three out of 17 players in their roster and somebody could have 12. So if you're there and you're towards the end, and you have four wide receivers and four running backs and one quarterback and two tight ends, whatever. You got to sit there and plan out, I, you know, no more running backs. I need X number of receivers. Whatever your allotment is, you need to figure that out because if you want any handcuffs or stuff like that, you need to really towards the end, you got to make sure you don't just take value after value and realize you got like three wide receivers on your team. Mm-hmm. So you kind of need to keep track of a lot of different stuff and, you know, to, in order to go between plan A and B and C and D, you, I, I personally, at least me, I need to write them down and actually like put arrows. Now I'm doing this as opposed to that. That's one of my personal weaknesses in auctions is, uh, you know, just through the whole projection process and talking about all these players and reviewing ADP and, you know, Jared and I do this stuff all the time. So I end up being a fan of lots and lots of players and then I get to an auction it's difficult for me to watch certain guys go to realize I'm not getting everybody to you know let somebody come off the board to another team even if he's coming off at a good price rather than go after him Drew how important is it to set your personal team budget Uh, obviously everybody starts out with the same bank but how important is it to figure out exactly what you would want to spend at each position going in well I think it's incredibly important so I'm at the point, like I said, I've been doing this 22, 23 years. I actually went into a couple of drafts without anything in front of me last year. I, I really enjoyed it, but that's after 20 years of doing this. So I, I think it's massively important if you are haven't been doing it very long or even, you know, uh, if you have, because that piggybacks off of what I was talking about earlier. And this is something that uh, I know Jeff alluded to earlier, the I have what I call a par sheet, and it's something I've gotten a lot of feedback on, very positive feedback, that I was a little surprised that people don't do it. But <laughs> I have an exact dollar amount for every single position on my roster that I want to pay. And I'm not married to that. The other night in this draft, it was a $300 cap, and we could only roster 16 players. So I scouted out the previous couple of years and what they pay for quarterback and thought that if I had my opportunity, I would go for it. So I had only budgeted 45 for the quarterback. He ended up going for 49. That happens, obviously. But I knew at that point I needed to pull $4 from somewhere else. And when you're in the middle of an auction and it's the heat of the moment, you can get flustered. Even the guys who have done it a long time, you can get flustered and think, gosh, especially if you're online, that thing is moving. And you're thinking, boy, how am I going to make up this money? And the par sheet is essentially just, like I said, so then now I paid $4 more than I should have for Jackson. So then I have to go down and find four, but I just put a big negative four out on the right side of my roster sheet. And then I know I'm down four bucks. And then if I get a nice deal, I adjust that, circle the new number. I believe it's incredibly important when you're in the draft to just calm your nerves almost, to just settle you down in the heat of the moment and say, yeah, I can afford to pay that. I'm eight bucks ahead of the game here. Whereas you might've thought I was never going to roster this guy, but I can't afford it now because my par sheet tells me I'm ahead of the game at this point in the draft. Jeff, how do you tend to split up the budget among positions? Do you go down to the specific spots like Drew said, or is it just like, this is how much I want to spend at wide receiver, for example? 
like I said, I plan a different strategy for every single year. Some years I'm heavy into wide receivers. This year I'm heavy into running. I mean, everybody's heavy into running backs this year, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so Except I'm not me. alone, but I mean, I calculate that in my budget. And say for the sake of argument, I'm going to spend $90 on wide receivers. Okay, it's less this year, but let's just say I am. I have an idea. Um, if I think that there are studs in the first couple rounds, I might go, you know, 40, 30, 20, you know, something like that. And then just, you know, a few bucks for guys that are on the bench or the flex. A year like this year, you know, where I think the values are more in the third and the fourth round, it's going to be more like 30, 20, 20, 20. You know what I'm saying? So it varies. But yes, I have an idea what I want to spend for each wide receiver slot, but that is more flexible than how much I want to spend for wide receivers overall, because you're going to pay an extra five bucks for your wide receiver one, which will take away from your wide receiver three. And then you just, like Drew said, you sort of keep track plus one, minus one, wherever you are. It just, it's, it's so fluid and the values vary so widely between different drafts that you really gotta, you gotta be mentally flexible. You know, Einstein said that the mark of an intelligent mind is to keep two contradictory ideas in your mind at the same time and be okay with that. I mean, he said it better than I did, but basically you gotta know what you want to pay, but you gotta have mental flexibility to realize that's more of a guideline in that just like a master chef will have sort of some idea of the recipe and then taste it and then put in more salt or more sugar and he's not bound by the recipe. You need to have the mental flexibility to, you know, vary around a theme, so to speak. Are you spreading your spending around at all for this particular season with COVID with the extra possibility that anybody could, you know, be inactive for a given week? I am on Sunday night. I, I went in, it's a weird draft. It emphasizes uh, what we were talking about earlier about roster restrictions, because it's not only a function of knowing how much money you have, but how many spaces you have. And this draft, you're only allowed to have a maximum of five running backs and five wide receivers when you leave the draft. So my thing was normally I would grab four or five wide receivers I really like and then pile a couple on my bench that I'm happy starting should that happen. This year, I thought to myself, I got to get five guys I, I like and I can count on before I leave this draft. So I went much deeper at wide receiver in that draft because I do think there's going to be issues like that. Theoretically, yes. But practically, when I get in the auction, I just <laughs> want to get my guys. And I just I get my guys, and that's that's what I do. So nominating players, we touched on it a little bit. Drew, let's say you're up. You're the fourth person nominating. Who are you likely to throw out there? And I don't mean a specific name, but – you know, is it is it a high dollar player that you don't personally want? Is it a kicker to try to lock that in? What are you starting with? Let me take you the last part of that first. I am a stickler about you need to save your kicker defense nominations for late in the draft. There are times you don't want to throw a player out that you want and the player pool is small enough and the dollar amounts have shrunk. You want to just punt on a nomination. And then that's when I want to nominate my kicker, like three quarters of the way through the draft when I'm waiting on some guys. But I would tell you that at the beginning of the draft, my strategy is, and this has evolved a lot for me in the last probably six or eight years, because I used to believe that I just stayed away from my guys at the beginning. But one of the things I wrote about, I think it was in my final piece on mastering the auction draft, was about inflection points. There are points in the draft that where things notably change, and you can see a shift in the draft happening. The very first one is when you sit down in the auction and the first couple of guys come up 
believe it or not, almost every single auction you're going to be in, there's going to be a deal or two packed in the first five guys that get sold or the first round. And that actually, again, referring back to the draft I had on Sunday, that happened on Sunday. So again, keep in mind, $300 cap, the Chris Godwin nomination starts to slow down. This is like number three or number four. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. It was in the upper 30s. And I said, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm getting in here. I ended up getting him for 40 bucks, which I thought was kind of a ridiculous deal. And the point being that at the beginning, you're going to see those kinds of deals. So my strategy comes down to trying to execute my plan by getting a guy out there that I think is going to be crucial to how my plan is going to go one way or the other. And I'm hoping that I get a deal on that guy. So that was a long way of saying the nomination that I'm picking, you gave the example, if I'm number four and I have a sheet in front of me that says, I'm going to go heavy on quarterback in this draft, or I'm going to go heavy on tight end, something like that. I'm trying to establish that immediately. So my first nomination is not going to be Barkley, be, uh, just to draw some money out. My nomination is going to be Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes because I'm going to see if that's going to be if he's going to end up on my team. I don't want to be sitting there waiting until the third round and thinking I'm going to get him, and then he comes up and he goes for way more money, and then all the talent's gone, and I'm sitting there holding the bag like, well, gosh, I should have been bidding on some other guys by now. So my first couple of nominations, I'm trying to number one get a deal while everybody's settling in and don't want to spend their money, and number two. I'm really trying to put my plan into place immediately so I know which direction I'm heading for the rest of the draft. I think in particular, it's interesting to start off if you are targeting one of those elite quarterbacks or elite tight ends. If you nominate that guy first and get him, it's nice to kind of have that position locked up. And then maybe, you know, your next few nominations, you're going to nominate some more of that position and sort of get the other owners to, to spend money at that position when you're not really interested in that guy at all. I do that for sure. I was making a joke about it when we were doing it on Sunday, but I got Jackson and I came back around the second round and, and nominated Mahomes. Yep. And I don't always do that because I think there's some value sometimes in if there's enough guys that now at quarterback and tight end, I totally agree that that's the way you play it. But at like, say running back or wide receiver, if let's say you locked up Devontae Adams and there's only Julio Jones left on the board, the common thought is, yeah, go ahead and nominate Jones because you're not going to have him and somebody's going to pay a bunch of money for him. I, I like to leave him on the board because there's enough people sitting there staring at him like, I'm going to get that guy, that they will pass over some deals that they normally wouldn't pass over because they're saving money for those guys that are left. I like to leave the, those guys on the board, concentrate on a couple of tiers down, and you might see some deals that way. Doc, what are you nominating early in the draft? I do a little bit different. Jack Hahn, I think I pronounced his name right. I guess he's one of the high stakes auction gurus and and another lawyer, I believe, right? Another attorney, yes. yeah. Uh, he would establish the run, and he did a podcast. And I hate God the thought that I disagreed with or didn't completely agree with something he said. And I'm not completely agreeing with something that Drew says makes me queasy. But I'm going to tell you <laughs> my point. Jack Honey said, you know, I don't just nominate people to get money off the table. And I understand I don't always do all my nominations, but my first few nominations, let's be clear, everybody's got a lot of money and I want to get that off the table. Now, I am a late quarterback guy and a late tight end guy, mid tight end to late, you know. So the earliest I've ever in my life taken a quarterback in a snake draft is the seventh round back, like in 2013 or 14. I took Aaron Rodgers in the seventh round. I thought that was so late. Actually, it's not true. My first pick, my 
2012. The only person I ever heard speak was J.J. Zacharyson. My first pick ever in my life in a fantasy draft was don't don't laugh at me, okay? The first quarterback was Jay Cutler in the fifth round. Yeah, like <laughs> negative two points the first week, and I thought I'd waited too long. But anyway, so I don't spend a lot on those, and I want to nominate onesie positions and get money off the table. And it depends on the website. Now, in ESPN, the quarterbacks go for a lot cheaper, or at least they're marked a lot cheaper than on Yahoo. So in Yahoo, Pat Mahomes is going to be my first nomination, followed by Lamar Jackson. And I'm not interested in spending the money for either of those and in any realistic scenario. On ESPN, it's going to be Kittle or Kelsey. So I just want to get some money off the table for people I'm never going to spend up for. I'm too cheap to get on that. I want to save my money for the running backs and the wide receivers. Now, as we start to go down now, it's third round or fourth round, and the elites are off the board. I want to now nominate to fill in roster spots for my rivals so they're less interested in, say, wide receivers. So if I'm interested in wide receiver number 10, then I am not number 11. Nominating number 11 would be good. It gets more money off the table that was committed in other people's auction budgets for wide receiver. And it also fills the roster spot of somebody, you know, so somebody's a little bit less interested in wide receivers. Now, there, there's a corollary to that. And, and I think this is an important point. And I'd love to give credit if I can. And I first heard this concept, and this is an important one, I think, by Matthew Berry. There will come a time when you have your target and it's, say, wide receiver seven or running back five, an elite running back, and the first tier running backs go, and then the second tier running backs goes, and the third tier as a running back goes, and people are getting cheaper and cheaper, and you go, I am going to get a great deal on Alvin Kamara because he's the only man standing, and I've saved my money, and then guess what? By the time he's nominated, you're not the only guy that was waiting on him, and you are going to get into a bidding war and pay far more for that guy than you would have had he gone earlier. Not only that, but there are some other guys that will realize that you don't have any running backs. And if you don't get him, you're in, you're in some kind of trouble for the rest of the year. And you'll have people tag teaming to bid you up. I've seen that, not to me, thank God, but I've seen it to other people. And actually, that's pretty humorous. I feel sorry for the guy, but he sort of brought it on yourself. And one of the keys is if you start to see the tiers below your target drop out, you need to nominate your target for a couple of reasons. One, if you don't get them because they start to bid you up, at least you have somebody in the tier below and you can shift and get the guy in the next tier so it's not a total loss and they can't really totally take advantage of you. Number two, if you were committing in your budget, I don't know, $50 for that player, and maybe you do get them cheap, maybe you get them for $40, you have now freed up $10 that you can now use to spend on other people while there are still players worth paying for so that... You don't just save it. You can't get them or you have to overspend or you're left with a surplus of money, but nobody to spend it on. Either way is bad in their times when you need to avoid getting taken advantage of and also the knowledge of how much your target is going to cost you is more important than maybe saving a couple bucks by having them go earlier. It sounds like you guys might differ a little bit in how you start nominating players. And of course, anybody who's not familiar the way that an auction works is you you take turns nominating a player for bidding and then people bid until the highest bid wins that player. Uh, it sounds like you guys might start out nominating a bit differently, but 
you both follow the idea that you can't wait too long. Patience is okay, but you can't be overly patient or else you're going to end up dooming your own strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And the the thing I just had a conversation with somebody about the other day was it is probably the worst feeling you can have in an auction if you wait too long. And what Jeff's talking about there is is perfect because when it gets down to the last couple of guys that are in each tier or that are that we know, for instance, like at running back, there's just a very definitive point this year at which the 300 touchbacks just are dissipate and everything else is more of a crapshoot. If you're not paying attention when that stuff's happening, you're going to have a problem. The thing is, you're not ever you're not going to get deals on the top guys. So what's the point in waiting? You may get a small deal. You may be able to say reach down into a tier, for instance, like the top four guys this year. It seems like that most people have Julio as the fourth in the top uh, three, you know, three, four guys. I, I'll go down and, and nominate Julio first and try to get a couple bucks off him. But the overall point is you're not getting these massive deals on the top guys. So you need to jump in and, and secure them. Patience is fine for the lower tier guys. Patience is fine for Jamison Crowder. And, and patience is fine for uh, you know Marvin Jones. But that, that doesn't work on the top guys. So you're just really making it harder on yourself if you wait. So you just you got to get in there and spend your money because the worst possible thing is, hey, we're halfway through the draft. I got the most money. I'm ready to dominate. And you look down and you go, uh, uh-oh, Raheem Mostert's the best guy left on the board. There's nothing to spend your money on. So you have to get in there and spend. Patience is great, but you got to jump in there right away too. So Drew, you mentioned Jamison Crowder and Marvin Jones. I'm sure they're just examples, but you know, players in that range that aren't going to be higher dollar, but they might be targets of yours in the range where you're expecting them to go. Is that the kind of player that you're not going to nominate and you're just going to, you know, maybe late in the draft you do, but you'll just wait and and see if somebody else puts them up and then bid when they hit the board? Yes, correct. Those type of guys, and I, there's a definite delineation this year, especially at wide receiver. It's right around the Marvin Jones line, like 36 or something like that and below where you can just wait till the end of the draft. And there are so many of them that patience will be rewarded. And I like what Jeff said earlier about trying to just fill up roster spots of, of your opponents. Actually, I almost got caught doing this on Sunday because we have the strict five wide receiver thing. And there was a bunch of guys that needed wide receivers. So I threw out Jerry Judy for a buck. Now I only needed one more wide receiver and I was planning on getting somebody good. And I thought, yeah, you know, these guys, they, they're going to love him. Some guy bid two and he went for two. <laughs> and I sat back and was like, wow, that could have been a huge mistake. But point being, I definitely try to fill up, for instance, like I'm not high in Stefan Diggs. So yeah. when it starts to get down there, I'm going to th- get Diggs out there. Let's get him on somebody's team. If somebody likes him and they want him as a two or a three, they feel good. They feel like they've filled that spot. So I'm trying to fill their roster spots with as many guys as I don't want to wait. And that's how I attack like the middle of the draft. Yeah, that tends to be a tactic for me, even middle and early in the draft is, is throwing out higher dollar guys that I know I don't want that I expect to go a lot higher than I, what I want to pay for. And then certainly guys such as Diggs in that middle range where I know somebody's going to pay a price much higher than I want. And I am I can just be out on him and somebody will will burn that money in that roster spot on him. Yeah, Matt, let me clarify too, because I, I know that I said that I nominate the guys I want early. I'm only really doing that in like the first or second round. Okay. And once my path has been defined, then I'm switching to what you said. So mm-hmm. the other night I, I nominated Jackson, I got him, 
And I knew then that my path was defined in that way. So then I started nominating the guys I, I didn't want to, mm -hmm. to spend the money and wait a little bit. So I'm only using that tactic to define my path. And as soon as it's defined, then I stop nominating the guys I want for a little while. And I let it come to me then because I've likely spent some money at that point. So then I sit back and let the draft come back to me. And, and similar to what Drew said, you know, remember I said, I just focus on my targets, but everybody else that I also rank. So if my target is Saquon Barkley and I get him, everybody else I am not interested anymore, like McCaffrey and Kamara and Derek Henry, because, you know, I'm not going to be able to pay that much for them being I spent on Barkley. They're good people, you know, once the onesie positions, elites are out, they're, they're good people to nominate if they haven't been nominated yet. And the other thing I would add to that is you don't need to nominate the guy that's listed for the most money. You can if you want to, but it's kind of a waste. You can do better because I promise you somebody is going to have him as a nomination. I mean, they just don't know who to nominate. They're just going to pick the next guy on the list. So somebody's going to probably do that for you, even if you want to do that. You can get sort of two nominations figuring somebody's going to do that one for you. Would you guys say that you tend to, I know that I like to look for guys that I think are going to go for a lot more than I want to pay for them. I can't, I'm struggling to think of somebody like, but maybe Clyde Edwards Elaire a month ago when Damian Williams was still in the picture or two months ago, whatever it was, where I think that somebody's going to pay end of first round price for him. And I'm not valuing him until more like a third, fourth round player maybe jonathan taylor is the example right now are those good early posts for you you know there, there, there's this uh cognitive bias called the anchoring effect so if you're throwing out you know if it's mccaffrey then barkley then ellie and camara you can throw out somebody you're not really interested in like todd Gurley, who's got the name value and people think oh yeah todd Gurley, he's really good i mean I'm not interested in him this year for whatever reason. Just personally, I'm not. If you are, that's great. But he's got the name value. So when you throw him out right next to Barkley and Henry and Kamara and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they'll sort of group him in mentally with that. And they'll probably pay much closer to the 60 or 50 bucks that all those other guys went for than for the lesser price that he should actually go for. Just sort of guilt by association, if you will. So let's jump into the specific positions now. And we've, we touched on quarterback. I know, Doc, you said that you're a late round quarterback guy. Obviously, the auction corollary here is low priced quarterbacks. Are you ever willing to deviate from that and spend up? And if not, then, then what level are you looking to spend on your quarterbacks? Now, you got to understand when you say, see, here's the thing. You're thinking of snake drafts where you know, you get the first five or six quarterbacks, and then you have the next one around eight, a couple in round nine, a couple around 10. Once you get the first five or six quarterbacks off the board for a lot of money, those guys going from quarterback seven to 15, they're going from between one and three dollars. I mean, there's not a huge amount. So you can get like a quarterback seven, like you can get like Carson once for three bucks. I got Tom Brady for two or three bucks. I got Cam Newton for a couple, but I mean, you can get good quarterbacks for just a few bucks at the end, you know, just sort of like Drew is talking about with Crowder and Marvin Jones, you get past the line for quarterbacks, which is quarterback six or seven. And you can do that. If you're on ESPN drafting there, the quarterbacks go for a lot cheaper. So for five bucks, you could probably get somebody, you know, Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or somebody like that. So it varies on the site, but no, I'm not going to spend a lot for quarterback. 
I don't either. And the thing about it is, I think it matters a lot. I think there's a fairly strong correlation between the uh, experience of the auction drafters you're dealing with and how you should treat the onesie positions. Because in a room full of veteran auction drafters, I believe that there is a game of chicken going on with the quarterback spot for the most part. And I think that you can get in that second or third tier and get decent deals, spend seven, eight bucks and get Watson or get Dak, you know, maybe 10 bucks. I'm open to that if I'm in a room of veteran guys who are all doing the same thing. If they're all fading the QB, then I'm going to jump in on the second or third tier. I'm probably not getting Mahomes or Jackson, even though, like I said, I did it the other night in a 10-teamer. But for the most part, I'm fading QB too. And I'm and I'm hoping to just pick up two guys for $3 total. So I'm going to spend a couple bucks on Stafford or Wentz or somebody and then spend a buck on Minshew or Tyrod Taylor or something like that. Or Tyrod, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, Tyrod, I believe. Yeah, I, I tend to go in with about 12 to 14% of my budget set for quarterback. And I'm hoping to not pay, I'm hoping to pay less than $10 for any quarterback that I take. And it usually is, I mean, especially this year, that can land somebody like Tom Brady, who could be top 10, top eight heading into the season. As you said, Drew, sometimes though, if you're in certain leagues, everybody else is looking to do the same thing. And then mm-hmm. if Dak Prescott's 14 bucks, then. I'll go up there and take Dak Prescott and get my difference maker there as opposed to in my, you know, third wide receiver slot where I might be taking those four or five dollars away from. Yeah. And I think it's really important to remember. I I think that when you're listening to fantasy analysts all the time, they're constantly saying, know your league and look at your settings and what and it it tends to become cliche like that washes over you, like, oh yeah, yeah, know my league. But man, that's so important because the draft I did Sunday is going to be vastly different than the draft I do next weekend with a bunch of guys who've been in my league. This is our 20th year and they've been auctioning for 20 years. It's just going to be vastly different. And I'm going to treat that completely differently. Mm -hmm. Doc over to running back. Are you looking to get a top five running back this year as you plan out your, your budget and your positions for your auctions? I either want to get a top five running back or I want to get like number six and number seven. You know, somewhere in there, depending on how the prices fall. So, yeah, I definitely want to get two late first round guys, or I want to get like a top five guy and then fill in with some lesser running backs. Yes. So, maybe either a top five plus like a third round guy going off of ADP, or two guys in the range of, say, you know, Miles Sanders to Austin Eckler in terms of how much they cost. Yeah, somebody like an Eckler plus a Miles Sanders, or somebody like top three or four or five. And then you got to be a little bit price sensitive because it depends on the league, as Rear said. You know, sometimes you can get a third round guy and sometimes you just got to be willing to slide down a little bit more and go to plan B or C on that. You got to be a little bit, if you spent a lot for the first guy, you just have to be a little bit more price sensitive. And I think most drafters are going to have a pretty good idea who's still on the board among the top five. But uh, this strikes me as uh, the kind of range where it's especially important to pay attention to who is gone and who's still there and who you like and who you don't. I mean, we're talking about third round types, Todd Gurley, James Conner, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, guys in there. I'm not saying those are the guys I like, but, you know, it's a range of six, seven running backs and you need to pay attention to who's there. All of a sudden you get the thing where you guys mentioned earlier, all of a sudden Raheem Mostert's the next guy on the list. That's why record keeping is crucial. And again, I'm into the paper and pencil thing and I cross them off my draft sheet 
and then I know, and sometimes you have one guy that you like is number like eight guy on your rankings, and there's nobody else in number 20, and you got to circle that guy, and that becomes your target if you can get him, you know. And But you need, like you said, Matt, you need to really know who is still available for you to spend your money on if you have the money that you want to spend on that position. Drew, what's your focus at running back? My focus at running back has been – you know, I feel like a fraud saying this because uh, I've not done this so far this year. I ended up with Zeke Elliott in a 14 teamer. I just, I never do that. But my philosophy is I'm generally not going to go into an auction and get the top three, four, or five running backs. That That's not my style. And I think it's a risk aversion type thing. I feel like I can get most of the production from the end of first round guys. So I'm a little different than Jeff on that. I'm spending more on receiver this year. But I'm similar with Jeff in that I love the end of first round guys. So my sweet spot for running back this year is Chubb, Ekeler, Sanders, Drake, those kind of guys. Yeah. And I really like the price gap. There's a massive gap between those top four or five guys. I think we're talking down through Cook pretty much. And even Henry, Henry's joining that 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 price tier. Mm-hmm. So I love that. But my thing is, and I wrote a two-part article about it, that everybody's running back crazy. And so I think that the right play, I get one of those type of guys. And then I almost completely tank the second running back spot. And when I say completely tank, like, yeah, it's pretty bad sometimes. Like, I, I don't have any problem going in into the into the season with my RB2 being, you know, one of the uh, San Francisco backs or uh, Charger backs or something like that. I just don't care about that second running back spot enough to have it pull money away from other positions in the auction. Yeah. You know, Drew, you're in good company. Uh, the first person I really talked auction strategy with was uh, Frank DuPont, fantasy douche, who founded Rotoviz, and he loved the end of the first round to start. And most years I do do that, and I like that strategy too. This year, again, I said, you know, this, this year I like the top five, top six, top eight. But I, I totally agree with you. Most years, yes, I totally agree with that. What are some of the trends you guys have just seen in the auctions you've done so far at running back that like maybe people can exploit? You know, is it that late first, early second round running back group being too cheap? Is it the, you know, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, James Conner tier being too expensive? You know, what what do you think people can plan to exploit at running back going into their auctions? I think each auction is its own animal. I think the prices, especially for the the high ADP guys, varies immensely. Um, the only thing that I've really noticed that's consistent is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes for too much money, in my opinion. You know, the trend I'm seeing is, and it's something that I guess shouldn't be a surprise because it's been something I've been thinking about for about a month now. That tier that, Matt, you were talking about earlier that starts really with the Connor, David Johnson, all those guys in that range – Nobody knows what to do with that tier. <laughs> that's in snake drafts, too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And that's so uh, that's part of the reason I love auctions. I have personally not rostered a single one of those guys in that tier in auctions because I'm finding that there's a massive glut of all those players all in one price point. So every one of those guys in that tier is going for about the same price. So it comes back to a your own personal preference on that. And since I have reservations as everybody does about whether Connor can stay healthy or how much of a split Gordon's going to be in or whether Fournette's going to get the targets. I can just punt completely. And that I'm a very risk averse guy. If you read my stuff and listen to me, I just don't handle risk well. So I love being able to get rid of that whole tier 
And I don't think I'm alone because a lot of guys are doing that. So anybody listening to this that's going into an auction, if you feel comfortable about those guys or about a couple of those guys, I think a great strategy is you can get two or three of them and you're going to spend the same amount that you would spend for a Cook or a Kamara. And if you like those guys, dive in. I don't know what the heck to do with them. I don't consider myself a high-level player analyst. I, I'm more of a fantasy, you know, game theory guy. So I, I've been punting on that, and the trend has been that a lot of guys are too. Now, let's say I do like James Conner and Chris Carson, but I don't like Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson. Uh, this may or may not be true to life. <laughs> Should I be nominating? Well, you know, let's say it's my fourth nomination. Should I be nominating James Conner, who I want, or should I be nominating Le'Veon Bell, who I do not want? I'm going to nominate Bell, Drew. But what are you doing? My practice, so. Oh no, we're going to have we're going to have opposite opinions here. So okay, sure. makes horse races, right? Yeah. Well, so my problem with that is I believe it really depends on where you are in the draft. If there's too much money in the room, and you nominate your guy, it will backfire because mm-hmm. inflation will happen because people are like, hey, I got a lot of money left. I'm going to buy this guy. So my rule of thumb is when you're trying to reach down for a nomination, don't reach down too many tiers, but reach down in the tiers. So if you want Connor, what I would do is after the top running backs are off the board, I'm making sure to get Connor out there before Bell and some of those other guys in the tier are gone because people are lumping all those guys together. So you want that tier to be super rich when you're getting your guy. But I want some of the money to be off the board too. So you got to wait a little bit, but then get them out there so that you're you're not fighting the scarcity of the tier when you're trying to get your guy. Yeah, I, you know, I hate to pick a fight with a lawyer. And <laughs> as a surgeon, Drew, I, I appreciate the fact that I'm your natural prey. So <laughs> with that in mind, I just like to open this discussion. You know, the the first person I heard with this thing in the tears and getting it while the tear is rich was J.J. Zacharyson, and he had this U concept, and it's great theoretically, but I think the reality is a couple things. One, when that actually does happen, it's not a U. It's like the five guys in the tier. It's not like the third guy is going to be the cheapest. The last guy might go more expensive, but it tends – as you go down ADP, it tends to get cheaper. Now, the last guy in the tier, when everybody realizes if I want a true RB1, if I want a true RB2, uh, I got to spend up. And so you'll get some wars on that and the prices will be inflated. Having said that, people don't agree on tiers. You guys don't agree with four for four, who doesn't agree with fantasy pros, who doesn't agree with establish the run, who doesn't agree with Football guys who do, and the football guys, you know, I don't know how many guys, they don't agree with each other either. And you have like a hundred guys on fantasy pros who don't agree. And you guys fight about who you guys want to put in your tiers and how you rank. And you guys fight on, I mean, come on, nobody agrees on anything. So the thing that everybody out of the 12 people in that room are going to agree on the tier is, is just, I don't think that's realistic. And that hasn't been my experience. And you can get, when you think they do, when you think everybody thinks like you do, you're going to probably be surprised that it's not quite that way. So if you think the last guy in the tier is number 10, right? So you want to get it before number nine goes, well, everybody else can think, no, it goes down to number 14, right? And so actually number 13 is a lot cheaper, if that makes sense. Or what can happen is you think it goes to number 10, but everybody else says, no, it's just eight. 
You know what I mean? And so when you're trying to go down, you say, I'll just get number eight because I got two more guys in the tier. No, everybody else is panicked that they're about to drop out of the tier. So not everybody agrees on the tiers. And there's definitely a couple times in a draft max, two or three. I mean, maybe your experience is different, Drew. You've done it longer than I have. But there's only two or three tiers in an entire draft where you can really pick out where people, most people will agree, this is the drop and where people really start to fight for that last guy. That, that's been my experience. Believe me, Jeff, I, I'm fighting an uphill battle here because I'm one of the <laughs> I'm one of the few who thinks that I think you got to get your guy out there. But I also believe that you can do it at the wrong time and you can make the mistake mm-hmm. of doing it too quickly. And then when there's too much money in the room, it inflates the price of your guy rather than you getting in there for the right price. So yeah. it, it's really a, it's a timing thing. Yeah, I think that really comes into play what you say, Drew, towards the end of the auction, where it's again, you've hit an inflection point, to use a term that I think we both like. Mm-hmm. And now it's the end, you know, to use a chess term, you're now, you're not in the start, you're not in the mid game, you're in the end game. And now you better get your guy out because maybe you want to nominate him for two bucks because everybody's sort of going for two bucks. And you, you want to sort of get your guys out there because roster spots are starting to become precious. And like you said, you don't want to nominate Jerry Judy when you only have one more spot that you can go receiver. And so I think it's towards the end, uh, maybe around seven or eight, if I was doing a snake draft, where, where that principle really comes in. Sure. You keep mentioning um, knowing how much money is left in the room. I know if you're doing an auction online, um, it, it shows you, you know how much each team has left. But Drew, if you're doing it in person, are you keeping track of every team and um, how much money they have left? Every single one to the dollar. So I use the Dominator from Football Guys, but um, I'm not, you know, here to be a shill. I I I, I believe in the Dominator. I I, I love it because you just put the money in. And it just does the math for you. And you got a little window that shows you every team. But I got guys in my league that just use a simple Excel spreadsheet that they built or whatever. I think it is so helpful to have other people's prices that they can afford in front of you. It affects just simple things like, hey, I can pull another $2 out of this guy. I know he doesn't have an RB1 and he's got this X amount of money. He has to pay, you know, that kind of thing. I absolutely have everyone's numbers in front of me. Uh, let's move to wide receiver now. Drew, you mentioned being risk-averse and avoiding generally the, the top of the first round running backs. Is part of that then targeting wide receivers higher up the board because we see the same level of wide receivers costing less than the top level at running back? Yeah, I do have the philosophy, and again, this has been evolving for, I don't know, four or five years for me, where I do want one of the receivers that I feel like has this defined alpha role and this year, that's one of the top four guys. You know, I'm probably not getting Thomas, but, you know, we're talking Thomas, Hill, Jones. Devontae Adams. And Adams, yeah. So with those four guys, I'm paying attention to the price. I'm not necessarily going to get one of those four, but more often than not, one of them slips in under what I think he should go for, and I'm ending up with one of them. But what I don't like, and I know this, this might be a little odd, but I don't like – five through like about 10 we're talking hopkins galladay uh godwin evans types it's not that i won't roster them i i was completely shocked to end up with godwin this past draft but i do feel like there's more questions there and i think that when then you sink down into like say 11 through 20 or 25 there's the same amount of upside so i don't 
feel like I want to walk into a draft and pay 38 for Galladay when I can get Tyler Boyd for 12. So I'm not chasing the five through 10 or 11 ish, like right around Cooper, DJ Moore type. I'm either getting one of the top four or I'm going to slam four or five of that 11 through 30 glut there that we all know exists. If you do get one of those top four wide receivers, how much are you generally spending on your other? Let's say you start three. How much are you usually spending on those other two starting spots? Well, I'm hoping to get the top guy in the 40s, like 45 to 50. Uh, So I'm still spending on my two and three. And again, I understand this isn't a super popular way to approach things. It's something that I've hooked into in recent years that I absolutely love. But I'm still spending 60 bucks on the next two guys. I'm going real strong to lock up somebody like Lockett or uh, Woods, and I'm trying to get two of those guys. I'm trying to get two guys I feel real comfortable with as opposed to there's just a few guys in that tier that I don't love, you know, Beckham and Diggs, those kind of guys. So I'm really trying to lock up three and sometimes four really strong options from that tier before I get down into uh, the Marquise Brown territory, that kind of stuff. And, of course, you have more money left in that range because you spent less on that RB2 spot in particular. Exactly. So I'm tanking the RB2 to mm-hmm. throw the money at the receivers. And that's been working out for me because I've been able to piece together the RB2 spot, but I don't feel like that's as easy to find that receiver that commands uh, the attention that these guys in that 11 to 25, 30 tier is. So basically, if you're going to do a snake draft, you like the anchor RB or what people call the modified RB strategy. Pretty much, yeah. That's what a lot of the you know high stakes guys like, and and it's a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Doc, where's your focus on wide receivers? Again, every year is different. This year, I like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Mm-hmm. So those are the guys I'm trying to get. You know, four of them at a good value. I usually play you know three wide receivers and a couple flex. So uh, then I'm going to get maybe two or three more of the Marvin Jones, Jamison Crowder, Deontay Johnson type. To, to fill it in. Those guys are good flexes too. This year in particular, it seems like there are lots of options throughout the single digit round level. And, you know, we're obviously we're talking auctions here, so it doesn't quite match ADP, but Mm -hmm. those rounds from like six to nine can generally be wide receivers that we can get for four or five, maybe $6, maybe even a little bit less if it's the right guy at the right time. Yeah. There's a couple guys that it's interesting. Again, it comes down to your league scarcity of roster positions. But, you know, guys like Marvin Jones and Crowder and in that spot, they're so cheap. And I, I don't know if people just don't care. So they just say, ah, well, there's about five other guys like that. So I don't care. But there's definitely some guys in there that I feel should be a little more expensive. And that's right where I'm at. That's where I'm living. Tight end, I think. Everybody here seems like they're a spend down at tight end. Doc, what's your focus there? Is it like quarterback where you want to spend as little as possible? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I will spend a little bit more at tight end. You know, quarterback, I'll draft one or two, depending on who I get. Tight end, I'm not going to get an elite. I'm just not going to spend that. I'm not even going to go for a Mark Andrews or a Zach Ertz. I just, they're they're just too expensive for me. So I'm a mid to late-ish tight end. I usually get a couple of them. And, you know, you can get a couple one or two dollar tight ends. I mean, you know, last year I got Mark Andrews for a buck and Darren Waller for a buck on the same team. And I figured one of them might do something and they both did. There are some other guys you get for three to five bucks, you know, maybe like Hurst or uh, Higby's a little bit more expensive. But, you know, guys like that, 
if the value is right, I'll go up there. But again, I'm pretty cheap with tight ends. Drew, what about you? I'm right there too. And I do again, I do something a little unconventional, but I don't I I, I love what Jeff said. I think you want to get two of them if you're going real cheap. And and this goes back to I don't consider myself to be a high level player analyst. I'm playing the situation and I'm listening to some smart guys that tell me these four or five guys have a good shot. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm forming my own opinion, but I'm Matt Waldman is a smarter guy than me when it comes to analyzing players. I'm going to listen to a guy like that. So I don't have the belief that I'm going to nail that one guy that I pick. So I'm not going to go in and spend $2 on one guy. I'm going to buy two of them. And I do the same thing with quarterback. If I'm fading quarterback and, and tight end because of the room, I'm getting two of them. And I know that's a little bit weird, but I'd much rather try to grab a second guy. It doubles my chances that I'm going to get that elite production that I'm after that, you know, I'm going to whiff sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when I whiff, I like to have a second guy that gives me the chance. And like Jeff said, that's that was fantastic. Waller and Andrews last year, you know, that won a lot of leagues for people getting those guys. This year we're talking about Jarwin, Hawkinson, those kind of guys. I'm trying to lock up two of them. And even Higby, I found really uh, weirdly, I'm not a Higby guy for the record. I think that he was awesome at the end of last year, but I don't know what's going to happen there. And I, I don't claim to know. So I'm trying to stay away from him, but yet I come into auctions and everybody else thinks the same thing. So he's going pretty cheap. I've ended up with a Higby Hawkinson combo or a Higby Jarwin kind of thing because they're cheaper. And I feel like, all right, one of them's going to hit. So my philosophy is super cheap grab two of them the other thing is that when i get two which is often if i get cheap guys they're not random guys i mean i do spend time figuring out if the schedule schedules mesh now a lot of websites will do that for you they'll give you the two guys with pairing but i mean you guys know defensive players get injured too right and defense has changed and the guy that like you thought chicago was going to be great last year and it wasn't you don't really know the strength of schedule except for maybe the first few weeks so i just want to make sure i have guys that if I if he's got a bad schedule to start, like in weeks one and three, that the other guy, I'll know the other guys that I can take around that range that will have a good matchup for weeks one to three. I just go the first four weeks for strength of schedule. I don't think you can. I mean, you're lucky if you do a decent job figuring it out for the first month. But um, I will make sure I don't get two guys with bad starting schedules. Like Dan Jones this year does not have a good starting schedule. Mm-hmm. Brian Tannehill does not have a good starting schedule, I'm told. So you probably would not want to draft those two guys. You want to get somebody with at least a moderate schedule in there for at least every game. And that's so it's not just random two guys. I mean, I do spend time in my planning phase that if I have to go to these guys whose schedules are disasters together. And I'll make sure I don't get them together. And who is will mesh, you know, better? Yeah, I think it, I think looking at those early schedules can be particularly helpful if you're pairing up quarterbacks who's a little bit easier to read the outlook than you know, say a tight ends matchup. Uh, and I like the idea of doubling up on those cheaper tight ends in particular because I think we could all probably use a little bit more humility in our drafting. Obviously, you want to make a plan get your guys, feel like you did all the research and you're going to nail it, but we're all going to get some of our players wrong. I'm not going to come out of a draft with Blake Jarwin as my only tight end, no matter how much I think yep. he's going to have a good season ahead of him. Right. I want to get Blake Jarwin and also an insurance policy in case Blake Jarwin doesn't quite do what I'm hoping. Yeah, and I like to mix upside and floor type plays there too. You know, getting a Jarwin and then maybe Jack Doyle. Mm-hmm. I know it's not fun, but try to mix those two. That's a good idea. 
Kicker and defense, let's finish up there. Uh, are you spending more than a dollar on either of those positions at any point? No. <laughs> uh, I might not even draft that position. Mm-hmm. If the rules don't make me to, I mean, I'll stream defenses. So I'd rather get another, you know, running back or wide receiver. And, you know, if the uh, if his backfield competition goes down, then you have a star. So, I mean, if you don't need to draft one, don't draft mm-hmm. one. You pick one up the night before the first game if you have to. It surprises yeah. me still how many times you can throw out a kicker or defense and somebody will end up paying $4 for, you know, Harrison Butker. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. And it happens in leagues where there's experienced drafters. That that couple bucks at the end is is massive. I, I can't understand it. The one exception I'll make is I do play in a couple leagues where, where defenses, you get points for yards against and points against. Mm-hmm. You can end up uh, having your 20 or 25 point days for defenses. I'll spend a few bucks, but I'm not going above 2 to 3% of the cap. And, and most of the time, people don't want to either. I got the Steelers the other night for two bucks on a three hundred dollar cap. That's about it. I'm, but mm-hmm. for the most part, no. Just don't pay the dollar. And I, I will say it again, and I said it before: save those nominations. Don't jump in there and be like, "Oh, I'm going to nominate Butker," and then you get him, and then your kicker's filled. And two hours from now, you're going to want that nomination back. It's much more important to have that nomination to be able to punt on your guys when you're running low on money than it is to lock up Butker. Yeah, let me, can I, I, I like that point. That's a very good point. People, it, first of all, the leagues I commission don't have kickers and defenses. So that's my solution to this issue. You only have X number of nominations, right? And that's where you can sort of throw out guys to control the cash flow and the spending. Those are important things. Like we had a long discussion on nominations. You don't want to waste those trying to get a single dollar extra out for like the, I don't know, San Francisco defense or something. Or So number one, don't waste the nomination. It's so trivial. Number two, what, what to expand upon what Drew said, again, remember, at the end of the auction, people have different amounts of money. You know, that's when if you're doing it online, which is my only experience, you know, you want to see the maximum, you know, what their budget, you know, what they have. You better shift it over to maximum bid because that becomes more important. And that's one of the inflection points. You just switch it over. And if somebody has $5 maximum, right, and you have $2 maximum, what that means is you're going to fill in the rest of your roster with $1 players, but you have a $2 you can jump. If somebody nominates your handcuff, you can get them for $2 one time if you do the math. That's what that means. So if you have seven roster spots left and this guy with more money has only three you don't want any of your players coming up until he's filled those three spots. And then if he has any extra money, it goes to zero. He's done. He's going out and having a beer. I mean, his auction is over. You want to throw a kicker at that point because you don't care. You throw a butker and he gets him for two bucks. He's wasted a dollar, which is big, as Drew says at that point. And you haven't had to nominate anybody that would, you know, you, you don't want. And you don't want to nominate anybody you do want because you don't want him pouncing on him. You want him out. You want his auction finished before anybody that you are interested comes up so he doesn't snatch him out from you. And so that's why you want to save those kicker and defense bids at the end. Or as Drew would say on his auction, I'm giving your auction brief some more uh, kudos here. You know, one of those shrug your shoulders guys, like if I get him, it's okay. If I don't, I don't care. Those are the people you want to nominate then. Like if there are a million wide receivers you're happy with, nominate a wide receiver. If you get him, 
you're okay with it. But you want somebody where if he gets snatched out and you can't stop it, no big deal. Makes sense. That's going to do it for this auction draft edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to read our full auction strategy guide to customize your MVP board for your league and help you with player values throughout the draft. Thank you guys both for joining us on this show. You can find all of us on Twitter. Drew Davenport is at DrewFBGAuctions. Dr. Jeff Budoff is at Jeff Budoff. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. Again, thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Drew, for joining us on this one. Thanks a lot. For our guests, Jared Small and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.